When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Boom, the boys are back, and folks, uh, it's a Wednesday show. Um, we're going to talk men's basketball, and quite frankly, there were a, a bunch of different directions this show could have gone, but I was texting back and forth with this guy, and I was thinking to myself, man, he's so smart, I can learn some stuff from him, you guys can learn some stuff from him, and it's been too long since I've had him on. He is the star, yeah, the number one star of the K-State online show on Sundays every single day. I love the other two guys, but this man is the star. He has single-handedly changed the way I watch the game of basketball and evaluate the game of football. He's the nicest guy I know, and, and he keeps me in line when sometimes I might be talking too much smack. It is the man, the myth, the legend, Jimmy Goheen. Jimmy, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Just update the boneheads. Um, you know, how how big of a temperature swing have you guys had out in Junction City? Just talk to me about life. Yeah, it was life is good. Um, I, I do uh, help coach tennis and I got to experience a 20 degree temperature change during one and a half hours of practice because we called it early today. Um, but it started in the forties feels like in the forties. And by the time we were done, it the feels like was like 27 or 26 degrees. So that's not really tennis weather. Plus the wind was blowing about 30 miles an hour, 40 mile an hour gusts. So not ideal when you're on top of a hill uh, where our tennis courts are with no trees around it. So that wasn't fun, but otherwise um, uh, the blue Jays are the two seed in our uh, sub state and, We'll be playing tomorrow night, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, my day job of teaching school is going well, so that's that's good for me. And, I, and my wife just celebrated her birthday yesterday. That was a fun time. Whoa! Well. So, did good not stuff. did not know that. Happy birthday to your wonderful wife. Uh, I'm a massive fan of her. I've I've getting to I've had the chance to interact with her a handful of times, and I think I come away from it every time thinking, all right, that's like a power couple. That's a <laughs> great duo. So happy birthday to her. I'm glad you're back on. Uh, so in a three and a half hour swing here in Shawnee, 40 degree temperature drop. Yeah. Chauncey, when he went outside, he was so confused. Cause like this afternoon, 78 degrees. And right when I let him out before we started this show, I mean, it's below freezing. And he, he just looked back at me like, what is going on? I was like, buddy, I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know. Um, so we're uh we're we're going. It's not a weather podcast. It's a K State sports podcast. So we'll get into it here in a second. But before we do, I, I do want to give a shout out to Manhattan Brewing Company. For you folks who are listening to this on release day, if you're getting up to Manhattan for Senior Day, quite possibly the final game in Bramlage Coliseum for Aoka Lee. Uh, there was a little bit of breaking news during the Jeff Mitty show. He did say that no final decision has been made. They're going to have a full discussion, full uh, decision on Aoka Lee's future after the season's completed, but maybe her final game in Bramlage, Gabby Gregory's final game in Bramlage, and we're playing Iowa State. Um, you know, it was a controversial double overtime game in Ames. So if you're getting up there for the game, stop by Manhattan Brewing Company before, because it doesn't matter what the weather is, hot or cold. They have some of the best beers on tap. They have great cocktails as well. And the vibes are always immaculate. And then as always, talk to your local liquor store about getting Manhattan Brewing Company in your liquor store. I was talking to someone in North Central Kansas and he sent me a DM and he said that, hey, you know, it works. I, I've been talking to the person who does the craft beer buying, and we are always stocked. So, look, be persistent, be polite. But they want to sell you beer just as much as you want to buy it. So, if your local liquor store in the state of Kansas does not have Manhattan Brewing Company beer, you make sure to talk to them. They want to sell you beer. You want to buy it. Manhattan Brewing Company, the best beer in the state of Kansas. All right. Let's get into it. It was a whirlwind game on Monday. Um, you were not in the arena. I did. I, I found out that after the fact. You know, shame on you. You know, doing other stuff besides attending basketball games. Uh, but for the large portion of the game, it was some of the best basketball we've experienced this entire season. The final ten minutes of overtime. Out. I mean, I guess outside of the what one minute that we uh, tied the game back up. Um, So what, for nine out of the final 10 minutes, it was the worst basketball I've seen us play this entire year. We're going to start positive, though. We're going to start positive. We're going to be happy. What led to those great stretches of the game that we saw versus West Virginia? Yeah, I I think um, it was similar to the last game um, against BYU, right? Um, When you hit shots, when you make threes, especially in college basketball, especially for a team – that was tracking to be uh, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in K-State history. Um, K-State was 11-19 from three in the first half. That's 58%. And there was a stretch in the final, I think, the 11 minutes of the first half. Um, K-State made nine of 11 in that stretch from three. Plus, they you know, were okay from two. I mean, they were only 40% from two in the first half, which is really not very good for a team that I think shoots 52 53% from two and is one of the top five teams. The funny thing was going into this, the BYU game, we were one of the top five teams in two-point percentage in K-State history and one of the bottom five teams in three-point percentage. So um, it's generally been very good from two, but we were bad from two, but great from three. Um, we're not great from the free throw line either. It was only We're only 43% from the free throw line, even though we only shot seven in the first half. But really it was that. And then, you know, the turnovers were better. We had six at halftime. Um which is still not great, but that's on pace for 12 for this team. That's pretty good. So you'll take that. Uh, K-State won the offense rebounding um, battle 9-5 to five in the first half as well. So um, the things that they have to do well to do, they did. And they played pretty good defense. I mean, uh, 
West Virginia only had 0.77 points per possession. Case they had 1.43. Um, anytime you have that in half, you're going to be in good shape. 48 to 26 at the half. So K State did the things they had to do, make shots. You know, you had multiple guys stepping up as well. You had uh, Perry four six from three, and Data Ames three of four from three in the first half. So you got that, and then you got a three each from Cam, Paluma, David Gasson with the step with the pump fake three. And then R.J. Jones even came in and hit a three. So you had multiple guys hitting threes, and you had a couple guys combined to hit seven. So anytime you have that uh, and you're 11-19 from three, you're going to be in pretty good shape, and, and K-State was. And uh, it looked – you know, I went back and watched some heavy uh, replay. There's a pretty good YouTube that has almost every replay of every good play from the game. And K-State just had a run there where they just couldn't miss. I think, I think they outscored them. For a stretch there, 29 to 9 from the 12 15 mark to the two minute mark, uh, and then led 20 by 22 at the half. So you'll take that anytime. And that was one of K State's best halves of the season. Yeah. And I, I was pumped. My group chat was going wild. And, and I got to say, and it might be me searching for it because I want it so bad. I feel like Day Day Ames is very, getting very close to turning a corner. Uh, with what we saw at least in the first half versus uh, West Virginia. And I thought he played well uh, in, in his moments uh, versus BYU. Uh, so really I'm, I'm, I'm about to, you know, strike up the day day Ames fan club. Once again, I don't know if he has enough juice in him to, you know, get out of the cellar for the worst like single season and efficiency in K-State basketball history. Uh, but uh, to no one's surprise, I was also a Javon Thomas fan. So this might not be a good thing for Day Day Ames. Uh, but we'll, we'll move on. We'll, we'll talk about the bad um, before we do land. And I, I got to say, for, for as much as I melted down, for as much of the bad vibes that were coming out of that game, it was a win. We, uh, we might talk here in a little bit why a win is not just a win anymore, but it was a win. But Let's talk about it. Almost a historic meltdown, a historic collapse by K-State. And regardless of coming out with a win, going from 25 up in the second half to down three late in the game, or it, actually I think it might have gotten to down five. I think it was down five down at four. one point. Down, down four. four, yeah. So 102 got, left in the game, down four. Yeah, so up 25 to down four with like a minute left. Uh Probably one of the biggest swings in program history. Um, when Jerome Tang was asked about it, he just kind of said, Oh, you know, you know, West Virginia started making shots. And to, you know, Raekwon Battle's credit, he started hitting some crazy shots. Uh, but that's not all of it. So I, I, you know, you're the smartest man I know. Diagnose how did that historic meltdown almost happen? Yeah, I think the, 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 the worst of the run was 31 to five. Thirty-one. <laughs> in, in my opinion, uh, there were kind of two things that happened. Number one, uh, because I think even even through the first eight, seven, eight minutes of the half, West Virginia was kind of playing, making a few shots, but they looked like a team that was checked out. And then, um, to me, when I when I watched some of the replay stuff. The play that kind of ignited them was Raekwon Battle got a drive through the lane and hit a ferocious tomahawk dunk and then came back and, and 
he he had a two minute and twenty second stretch where he scored fourteen points to start their run. With Raekwon Battle, um, there were, there might have been a few other baskets in there, but he, I know he had fourteen points in just over two and a half, just under two and a half minutes on the clock, and so that started it. Um, K State had a few chances to to stem the tide while they went on that run, and then as that run continued, and then other people started making plays for him. Uh, Chris was was part of it, but then they had you know they had some other guys making plays in there. Jesse Edwards was involved. Uh, a few of the threes were made, um, but I thought really when some of that was just unconscious basketball, especially from battle. So so really, you get in that stretch, you have to match them. You know, and I think we saw that the best best examples against Texas last year in Austin when we when when Keontae and, and Marquise just were matching Texas because Texas went on their own run against us in that game as well and scored a lot of points. So we didn't have that. And then we had a couple of opportunities to kind of stem the tide. Uh, two front end of one on ones missed by uh Gasson and and uh Will McNair, and then the missed dunk by Cam Carter might have been the final blow to really let them back in the game because then, you know, I think Coach Tang said, uh, then we started pressing. And, you know, in some ways you get in that situation, you're playing not to lose. And I and I think, you know, honestly, our guys were playing free-flowing and probably relaxed. And then once you relax in a game and you give the other team momentum, it is hard to get that back. And so I think it was a combination of all those. A bit of it was – just them being unconscious, especially battle. But then some of it was us just not stepping up and making a play when the play needed to be made. And, you know, West Virginia took advantage of it. And they've got talented enough players to do that. You know, they've got so many guys that are multi-year players from other programs and have had success at other places. And and they definitely put a scare in in every K-State fan in, in thinking you we were going to see – perhaps one of the biggest collapses in K-State basketball history. Yeah, it, and I, I had just kind of resigned to it. And, and the, the next question, I talked about this group chat I was in, and uh, we were kind of even joking around at halftime. Uh, and, and I said, you know, you know, how close is this going to get? Because seemingly every single game K-State is in, whether it happens at the start of the game or it's after K-State gets a sizable lead um, or sometimes multiple times a game at different situations. We give up these 10, 12, 15, 31 to 5 type runs, um, and it it happens almost every game. Now, I don't think this is something that's going to get fixed. There's only four games promised uh, rest of the season. Um, but what can Coach Tang and, and company do before next season to fix this way too common occurrence? Well, I, I think, you know, it's it's kind of what I said about the Texas game is you've got to answer. You've got to have a guy step up and answer. And, you know, I think what I said, we scored five points in that stretch when they went on that 35 to, to five run. And that was over nearly 10 minutes of clock time, just under 10 minutes of clock time. So, Five points in 10, nine, 10 minutes is not getting it done. And really, I think those runs have happened by good offense by the opponents, but more so probably bad offense by K-State. And you string together missed shots, you string together turnovers, which is a, a constant problem for this team, uh, and, and that becomes a problem. So I think 
number one would be better ball handling and more options at the guard spot. Because I, while I, I don't think you have to have a true point guard and this team doesn't, I don't think have a true point guard or at least one with enough experience to play at a high level. Cause I think day day Ames could be approaching that situation, but I don't think he's quite there. Tyler Perry is not a point guard. He's a combo two guard, small two guard asked to play point guard. Um, and so, and then Cam Carter is more of a, almost like a smaller wing than a guard, but he's asked to be a, a ball handler. And then there's really nobody else. So, uh, when you're when you're left to those options at the guard spot, and the lack of experience we have really uh, at ball handling, because Cam was not asked to be a ball handler last year very often at all, because you had Noel was ball heavy, and then you had Desi Sills you could bring in off the bench. So it's a recruiting problem in my opinion. You've got to get more guys uh, that can play, and then it's a developmental problem if you keep Dede Ames, which I hope the staff is able to do, and then even R.J. Jones I think can have a role in the future with this team, because I do think he can shoot it and has some skill. Um, so then you got to find some other guys that can play that position and and handle the ball and distribute to other people and set them up to to make plays. And we've just lacked that too often. I think oftentimes when we get in those funks and we give up those big runs, it's because we just don't have enough options to handle the ball or guys to go score the ball. And um, Perry can do it. At times, Cam can do it at times, and Kaluma can do it at times, but all of them have just enough limitations in their game that they can't quite take over uh, like you'd want them to do. So, you know, still down the stretch, Perry's three to start overtime was gigantic. Um, Perry's uh, uh, free throws uh, at the end of regulation were gigantic. Um, Will McNair getting a putback on a missed three, air ball three from – Kaluma was gigantic. So some plays were made when they finally had to be. You would just hope you make those plays to to put the lead back up to eight from the six-point game instead of cutting a four-point deficit to zero to get to regulation. So uh, to me, that's what the answer is. I liked what you said about, you know, you pointed out Arthur, Cam, and Tyler Perry, that they're all capable, but they just have just enough limitations and and I I think that is a a great call out because I think those three guys at their best are good enough uh to for for this season to have not gone the way that it did but they have enough flaws that there is a good chance that there could be an entire game or if not an entire game a stretch in every single game that none of the three can knock themselves out of the funk. And I, and I do think there needs to be some credit to Tyler Perry specifically uh, in that overtime game and down the stretch uh, for kind of dragging this team out of it. I, I know we're going to talk about it later, but I, I think he's having a season that even myself included um, folks have been a little bit too tough on him because uh, you know, he had to be the savior of this team and he is not a savior uh, and not to be sacrilege or anything, but they needed him to be, you know, all American good first team, all big 12 good. And he's just not quite that. And I think he's gotten a raw deal from some of the fans. Um, We saw it last night again, 
he couldn't snap us out of the 31 to five, but he was the guy who was making plays at the end of regulation and in overtime to get that win. Yeah. Perry, you know, Perry, he went through the funk really in the first half of big 12 play. Uh, but the last eight games is I think kind of the Perry we thought we'd get. He's averaging 19.9 points per game in that stretch. He's hitting 37% from three on almost nine attempts per game. Which is above my magic 33.33 yes. re- repeating. So, Yes, and he's at a 1.11 offensive rating in that stretch. He has four 20-point games in the last eight. So you're seeing a guy that is kind of showing you what you thought you would have. Um, you know, in the first seven Big 12 games, he only had three double-digit games, and he had four out of six where he was in single digits. And that's kind of where people really started getting frustrated with uh, the Perry narrative, but you got to give him credit. Like, I think he's adjusted. Uh, I think the coaching staff has probably helped him out with some things as well. Uh, but, but he's, he, uh, you know, I think, you know, he gets docked by some player, some of our fans for not being a dog, D-A-W-G dog. Um, but the problem is we, we keep comparing to Marquise Noel, who was, at a level maybe we haven't seen at K-State outside of three or four guys. Yeah, I, I mean, so, he, he's he's one of those unicorns. Like, we, we talked about yeah. the, what we saw with Dean Wade. Uh, yeah. You know, we may never see anything quite like that again. We, we talk about, you know, Jacob Pullen. I, I, and yeah. the thing with Jacob Pullen, it, it wasn't his skill set. It was his mentality and his drive. Like, you're never going to see anything like that. I don't think you're ever going to see the – athletic ability we saw from bill walker you know the the pure ability like we saw from michael beasley i think marquise noel needs to be talked about like the once in a generation or once in a you know a decade type player that we may never see anyone quite like him ever again and perry having to follow it up being a shorter guy that that sort of expectation never should have been uh what fans did yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I give him a ton of credit because he is stepping up down the stretch of this season, even in some losses. He's played well lately. And uh, if he continues to play like that the last three games of this regular season, K-State's got a shot to to do some uh, pretty good things that even two games ago we thought we were out of the running for. So I give him credit. Kaluma, I think, has stepped up as well. He's played pretty well lately. Uh, Carter had his best game in a while yesterday so i give him credit although he's he's probably struggled the most of the big three down the stretch in the big 12 um so but the the thing is we still have a big three we still have three guys that can go score the ball at an elite level and uh if if we can get two of those three going uh, on any night in these last three games we have a chance if we get all three of them going on any night in these last three games uh, we're probably going to win so that's going to be the key as we look to to the final stretch of basketball all right, I'm going to break a rule I just declared just a couple of days ago here in a second. But before we do, I want to give a shout out to Charlie Hustle. Uh, folks, I know a lot of you think I'm crazy wearing my Charlie Hustle crew necks all the way, really until at least through May, maybe even into June if, if I'm uh, feeling a little frisky and turn that AC down in the house a little bit. But, I mean, it's going to get down to 18 degrees tonight. So you know, you know I'm wearing my K-State Charlie Hustle crew neck sweatshirt uh and when i say 
I mean, I have like eight of them at this point. They're absolutely wonderful. They are the best. I absolutely love them. Uh, Jimmy, I know you are a big fan of a certain baseball team that plays in Raytown, Missouri at the K. They might be getting a new stadium. Guess what? They have the Kansas City Crown Town Collection just for a guy like you. Honestly, for all the times you come on the show, I probably should get you a T-shirt or two from their collection uh, just as a thank you. But Charlie Hustle has everything you could ever want. Again, you know this show is every single week of the year, even in the offseason, even as things are ramping down here for the basketball season for both the men and women. Guess what? They have the Raglan baseball tee to get you out to Toynton Family Stadium, and they have the classic Kansas City heart. They have some absolutely great stuff if you're a fan of history with the Kansas City Monarchs. Everything you could want, whether you're just stylish or you're a sports fan, if you want to look good or you want to feel good, you can do it all with Charlie Hustle. CharlieHustle.com, vintage made fresh. I, you know, I don't know how much they listen to this show because I go rogue. I just kind of talk about how much I love their stuff. Uh, you know, they don't really give me talking points anymore. But, but trust me, get a T-shirt, get a crew neck, get some joggers. It's going to be the most comfortable thing you own. And Jimmy, I, I am going to get you something from the Crown Town <laughs> Collection uh, before baseball season uh, because you know what, go Royals. Uh, but let's get into it. I'm breaking my rule. I said it on Monday show. I said, it doesn't matter. Oh, hell, hell. I said this uh, even before the BYU game because some folks were saying, oh, we're still alive. We're still alive. And, and I, I, you know, I, depending <laughs> on who wants to really dunk on me, there, there's some, there's some fun texts out, or tweets out there. And there's some fun stuff that I've said on the show that people uh, might be able to get a lot of, uh, you know, runway with me declaring the season over all that type of stuff. Uh, but, but I've said it. And then I said it after the BYU game, I need to see us beat West Virginia and Cincinnati before I talk about the bubble, before I talk about the path to the NCAA tournament, but too many people are talking about Joe Lenardi got us up on the, uh, you know, next four out. Uh, you know, people are starting to talk about K state as a potential bubble team. And one of your many, uh, awesome traits. One of your many hobbies is going back to the go Ema days. You've been a bit of a bracketologist yourself. Um, so I thought, okay, you know, we might as well do this before the Cincinnati game. Heck, we win that one. Might have to bring you on again to talk about it. Uh, you know, before the KU game, talk bracketology. Um, but but walk me through our bubble case. Um, when I look at it, and again, I'm an amateur. I think, hey, you know, we, we got some quad one, quad two wins, only one bad loss. Uh, we should be talked about even more than we are. Uh, but then I kind of look at, you know, the Ken Palm ratings, the net rankings, the, the analytics really hate us. So walk me through important numbers when it comes to win, wins and losses, quad ones, quad twos, and then Ken Palm net rankings, all that type of stuff. What are numbers fans should be really looking at if we want to handicap our shot to get into the tournament? Yeah, the the, the case for the case four, I'll, I'll go with first. Um, you you want to have four to five quad one wins, and this is for bubble teams, which have is what we are four to five quad one wins and probably four to five, maybe five to six quad two wins. You, you combine them usually the, the nine to 10 range um, for a team is good. 
especially if you avoid the quad three and quad four losses of, of now we've have one quad three loss to, to USC it was the first game of the year. I think they were a much different team at that point. I think we were too. And I think sometimes the committee looks at things a little bit that way. Um, so I, I don't think that game hurts us a ton. Um, I think that, our net wins are really good because all three are in the top 15 of the net, even though they're all at home. Um, and that is a thing, you know, you, you hear some bracketologists talk about it a little bit when they say quad 1A. And quad 1A is an upper half quad one win. Uh, generally, that means you're talking about, did you beat a three seed or better? In case they probably has two of those. I don't think BYU will probably earn a three seed, even though they're uh, a media dar uh, net ranking darling. Um, but they're still a number 14 net ranking right now. And we beat them on our home floor and we beat them by uh, 10 points. So that's a good mark for K-State. We're four and five in quad two. And uh, two of those wins are over teams that are on the bubble is with us, Villanova and Providence, and probably have work to do. Uh, two of them are nice quad two-ish wins, but they're kind of quad 2B, which is another thing you look at. Quad two teams that probably aren't tournament teams is the way I would state it. Uh, UCF and LSU probably not going to be in the tournament, but they're still quad two wins. So that's kind of the good for K-State. The bad is uh, – they do look a little bit at your road record. Casey only has two road wins, and that's not ideal. Um, and those were the first two road games we played all year, LSU and uh, West Virginia, to start the Big 12 season. So that hurts you. And then even though they don't necessarily look at net ranking, and, and you can have a net ranking in the 60s and even the 70s in one case and make the tournament, um, our net ranking of 73 is not great because it's an optic. If you're – and I think that's why we're not on a lot of bracketology people. I think if they really dove in and look at our quad one wins, I think we would bump over some teams that are right now ahead of us in most bracketology folks' um, views of what's going on. But if you really don't look at that, you know, Baylor's a good win, KU's a good win, and BYU are, is a good win. And, if, and that, that's really where I think beating Iowa State would give you a fourth, one of those type wins on your resume. Cincinnati would be good, but Cincinnati's kind of on the back end of quad one. It's still not a bad thing, but um be nice to get that. And then if you could steal one at Lawrence, that would be a gigantic thing. But we haven't some, seen that in a long, don't even, long time. Don't even try to <laughs> float that out there. I so, uh, I can't even believe you even put that into the ether, Jimmy. Come on, Jim Waldridge well, and I, I Cartier just, Martin and, you know, Drama Diara is not your, walking your, your only thing door. is, yeah, that's true. Your only thing is Kevin McKillar's McKillar's probably not going to play in that game. We'll see. Um, but they just destroyed Texas without him, so you're right. I don't want to get the cart before the horse here. So, and that, as that's of recording, they're, they're taking care of BYU by 10 points with pr pretty much a lot of ease. So, I don't not even going to entertain that, Jimmy. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, anyway. So, you know, your most likely wins, if if you got to get to, and I think we probably do, are this Saturday at Cincinnati and then next Saturday 
the next Saturday with Iowa State coming to town. So I think they're winnable games. Um, um, Iowa State, fantastic on defense, not a great offense. Cincinnati's very similar, kind of Iowa State light. Um, very good defense, not a very good offense. So uh, you're going you're gonna to probably be in grinders, but you got to find a way to win at least one of those. If you win, have to win one, it's probably Iowa State, and I think probably you need to win two. So why does K-State end up being so poor when it comes to like net, Ken Palm, all this type of stuff? You know, our, our strength of record is still kind of pulling us forward when folks yeah. look at, uh, you know, the different metrics I, that I think are on the team sheet. I don't know what's actually on the team sheet, but the side I like to look at, you know, it calls outside of record uh, or strength of record, uh, net ranking, basketball power index, and Ken Palm, and Three of them are pretty grouped together, and it says, oh, K-State, not great. And then strength of records, like, oh, you know, this team should be in the field. Uh, so why is it that, you know, basketball power index, Ken Palm, Net really don't like K-State? Yeah, the the and I'm, and I'm an efficiency guy. Like, this is Ken Palm. That's his system is, is measuring your efficiency, your points per possession. Now, Ken Palm adjusts it with his own formula. Uh, T-Rank, which is Bart. Bartek Vic or whatever that guy's name is, does the same thing in another version. I think BPI is another version of that. Um, the net obviously has efficiency built into it. So um, I think that's a great tool. I think that's a great way to measure teams. Uh, but it's kind of like K-State has been in football for several years where sometimes we're not a, a metric darling in the football rankings because we don't do certain things well. Uh, we see that in basketball as well. I think the, the one thing I'll look at is what did you do against your quad four opponents in the non-conference? Teams like Houston and Iowa State and BYU and Baylor beat their quad four teams by an average of 37 to 40 points per game. Even teams like KU, TCU, and Oklahoma beat their quad four opponents by an average of 27 to 30 points per game. K-State is second worst in the Big 12 in those games with an average of 14 points per quad four win. So that's number one. That's why we started uh, the first day the net came out, which was on December 3rd, K-State was number 100 in the net. Whereas a team like TCU, which had played a much weaker schedule, K-State's schedule uh, to start the net was number 269. TCU's was number 362, but they started at number 41 in the net because they had beat those opponents badly. Cincinnati is our opponent this week. They were number 347 in strength of schedule to start the net on December 3rd, set 3rd, and their net ranking was number 14 because of who they had played and who they beat. Iowa State was number 13. BYU was number two when the net started. And a lot of that was because of what they did against those weaker opponents. And then they had no bad losses. That's the other thing that K-State hurt. Um, you lost to USC by double digits, and you lost to, to Miami and Florida by nine or eight. So that didn't help you. And then as the season goes along, um, every time K-State was kind of a one step forward, two steps back, because you come home and you lose to Nebraska at home by 16 you lose to Oklahoma at home by 20. So those two losses combined with the quad four 
close wins combined with USC and Miami losses who have turned out to be bad teams. Um, even though at the time we played them, they were not perceived to be bad teams. Doesn't matter. That's what they are right now. So that is what has killed K-State in the net. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the USC game in hindsight is a mistake. If we would have played some bum 300 net team and beat them by 30, we'd be much better off right now than if we'd played USC. That's just the facts of the way the net works. Uh, if we had discontinued the Nebraska series and said, nah, Huskers, we played you up there. We played you in, in, in uh, your little other arena up there. We're just going to, we're just going to call it good. And we're not going to play you at home. And we're going to play other, some other rummy 300 ranked team. We would be 10 spots better than that. So, you know, hindsight's always 2020 when you look back at those things. K State had, you know, I, I always look at also K State controlled what they could control. They shouldn't have lost to Nebraska. They shouldn't have got killed in the second half on the offensive glass. They should have beat some of these bad teams and not gone to overtime against three teams ranked 100 or better in the Ken Palm rankings. So K State did their part, and then we just got unlucky a little bit too. I will say, while hindsight is 2020, um, I'm, we're not going to do a deep dive into it. Maybe we will come July, <laughs> but I, I had the hindsight before the season started. I had the hindsight when I saw you the. Nailed it, uh, Scott. I'm, I was I'll the only one, by the way. Remember, I said stuff on Case yes. Day Online, and there are a handful of people who are like, you know, get the f out of here. No f word in 2024. Well, you and KSU freak, pretty yeah. much. You too. Well, except for he was telling me that I was like overrating like what the schedule was but uh, after after the fact but... yeah after the fact, I mean, after the fact but it, well it doesn't I matter i was right and if i have to He's share right. that with someone else then it is what it you is you guys are right <laughs> uh so, and it, it will be interesting and, and i think <laughs> tang might have learned his lesson uh since he came out and said i don't want the big east challenge anymore i uh since we're going to 20 games i want to control it I'll be interested if he gives up his yeah. crusade of getting quote unquote big games in the non-con um, because a, I think he found that some of the biggest names have no interest in doing home and home and uh, B the season's gone the way it is, but that's a July topic. We'll worry about that then um, let's go to the next one. And in, in before uh, we start talking about Cincinnati is it as simple as if they can get to nine and nine by winning two of the last three, they're going to be in? That's something that Coach Tang's been preaching really since conference play started. Or are you of the belief that I am that I think they probably need to grab one in Kansas City too? Yeah, I I, I find I kind of go back and forth in my mind on this. I I I've have thought for a while now that nine and nine was not going to be enough because of the things we've talked about, those USC, Miami, Nebraska, Oklahoma losses specifically. Um, and then, you know, even though Oklahoma State loss is not, it's not a great deal for us, even though they're quad two at the bottom of quad two. Um, but as, you know, as I start to, um, this week was really the first time I started to look at the bubble this year and where it stands. And um, right now I think we're, you know, even though some people have us out, um, I think, you know, you mentioned strength of record, our SOR, SRO right now is, SOR right now is 51, 50. That's right on that cut line. 
um, when you look at that metric. And I think, you know, as people dive into quad wins, and you see this all the time, when people stack quad wins late, especially quad one wins late, uh, a lot of the bracketologists finally say, oh, look, that team finally, they have five quad one wins. They have three really good ones. And I think that my, if, if K-State would happen to beat Cincinnati and Iowa State, that's going to happen. I almost guarantee you going into the Big 12 tournament, K-State's going to be right on the bubble. I think we'll move into the 60s of the metrics if you'd win those two games and as long as you don't get blown out too badly in Lawrence. Um, you're you're looking at a team that looking at the last two bubbles, which which are the, the two bubbles that have used the net, that have used quad run rankings and quad two and all that stuff, and also used the S-curve model that the NCAA is now using um, besides the COVID year, which let's we're going to throw that one out because so many schedules were bizarre that year. Um, you look at that, and, and K-State's going to compare favorably to bubble teams that got the benefit of the doubt. You know, last year, uh, you look at two teams, Pittsburgh and Arizona State. Both were ranked in the 60s in the net, 66 and 67. Both of them had eight and nine quad one and quad two wins. Uh, both of them, the, the key for those two teams is they both had 22 total wins on Selection Sunday. And that's where, as I look at it, kind of the magic number is if you can get to 20 total wins and nine quad one, quad two combined wins, you're almost always in the tournament. And very few of those teams have been left out the last two years. And if K-State can manage that, they're going to be in good shape. And that's going to be the sticking point um, if they don't do that. Uh, because we also only have one bad loss, which is quad three or quad four. So um, as I look at that combination, K-State's resume is not that bad. But again, that that optic of a of a net ranking in the 70s is, is the, really the thing that really is the sticking point right now. All right, let's look to that uh, first game that they they have to have. I you know I'm I'm sorry, and uh, you know I, as I'm saying this, BYU has cut it down to seven. So okay, maybe we won't you know get destroyed in Lawrence, but I, I think you have to have Cincinnati. I think you have to have Iowa State, and I think you have to get one in Kansas City. If you only get get one of those, in my opinion, I think you probably have to get to the championship game in Kansas City um, because we, we've seen you have to do more in the conference tournament. Uh, than you think. I think that's kind of what what folks have learned over the last few years uh, with conference tournament. But Cincinnati, again, you touched on it a little bit, um, but but let's give just like a little Cliff Notes preview on Cincinnati. Um, they've been sputtering just as hard as K-State. Um, you mentioned it earlier, but what do they do well and what do they struggle with and what, what does K-State need to do uh, to attack that game and get their first road win this year? It would uh no what was that west virginia second. game in january or was it that was in december yes. okay it was in so january. the the second road win of the year yeah you're you're, you're looking calendar at another year. calendar year yeah you're you're looking at another like i said i i kind of call cincinnati iowa state light because uh they've got a good defense fifth in the big 12 and efficiency in big 12 games only and they're kind of interesting because they're kind of middle of the pack on everything they're sixth uh, they're fifth in two-point percentage defense, sixth in three-point percentage defense, sixth in turnover rate forced, seventh in offensive rebounding uh, rate allowed or defensive rebounding rate. 
Um, but they're third in free throw rate allowed, which is could be a sticking point because that's that's one of K State's strengths lately is getting to the free throw line. Um, K State's meanwhile is eleventh in offensive efficiency, so we've actually moved up from last over the last two games, which is a good thing. Um, uh, K State's really good at making twos. We're third at making twos. Um, we're fifth in free throw rate. Uh, eighth and three-point percentage in Big 12 play now after being 13th uh, before the BYU game. So that's going to be, you know, you're looking at a six-spot gap in the league between our offense and Cincinnati's defense. But on the other end, K-State's got the fourth-ranked defense compared to Cincinnati's offense, which is ranked 12th in the league. They're not very good. They're one of the worst shooting teams in the league, Uh, 10th and two-point percentage, and 14th last in three-point percentage. They actually shoot worse than us from three. 30.1% 30.1% in league play. So um, that's pretty bad. They turn it over a lot, 20.6%, uh, which is not quite our 22%, which is last in turnover rate. Uh, but they're not very good. Their biggest strength is offensive rebounding. They're first in the Big 12 with 36.4%. Do not like hearing rate. that. I do not the, like the, hearing that. Now, the, the other thing is they're 10th or worse in every other offensive category that I track. So they are a bad offense besides offensive rebounding. So um, that's going to be what to watch. If K-State can keep them off the boards, if K-State can make threes, and if K-State can get to the free throw line. Like, I think some combination of those three things um, is is the key. You know, we talked about the West Virginia game. K-State made their second-best three-point shooting percentage of the season, so we did well. But we were toward uh, one of our bottom half two-point percentage games. We only made, like, 43% against West Virginia. And Cincinnati does have some pretty good uh, big guys inside. Um, They're not, you know, you look at Cincinnati uh, and who they have, who their players are. Um, Daniel Skillings is almost 13 points a game in Big 12 play, but 1.04 efficiency, so not great. Uh, Simus Lucatius is 10.6, the only other double-digit score they have on the roster uh, in Big 12 play, uh, but 0.99 efficiency. Um, so they don't have great guys that can score the ball at a lot. Their their volume three-point shooters, Skillings and Lukosius, shoot 33% from three, so not great shooters. Um, uh, so they, they've got a lot of guys that are honestly worse offensive players than us, than any of K-State's guys. I think we have better players. I think we may have the best three players on the court, honestly. I, if I would say it, I think – our three best guys are better than any combination of their three best guys, but it's at Cincinnati. Uh, the, the, the thing you look at Cincinnati, which is absolutely crazy. I think of their 11 losses, eight of them have been by five points or less. So they've been in every game they've played. They've played close to I mean, Houston was a five point or four point game. So Iowa state was a close game. So, They've played some of the best teams in the league very close. At Lawrence, they played a close game. So it gives you pause there. You look at it, and and really, that's why they're 25 spots better than us in the net. Even though we have better wins in Cincinnati by far, I think we've probably got two better wins. I think they also beat BYU. Uh, With Baylor and KU, we've got two better wins than they have on the season. Um, But they've played everybody close, so. That's what gives you pause is they are in every game almost and they give themselves a chance. But I think in a, in a close game, 
we have better players to go make plays on the stretch than they do. So that's a good thing, I think, that K-State might have going for us. Well, I can't wait for it. And then if we win that one, then uh, I'll be all in on the bracketology stuff, and I'll probably spend the entire K-State KU game in Lawrence not watching the game but trying to break down the bubble uh, because that will be a better use of my time. Uh, but before we wrap up, something that I think you do better than anyone out there, uh, you do this usually, I believe, right before conference play gets going, uh, around the midpoint, and then again, you know, with a handful of games left before the Big 12 tournament, you always do a great job putting together your first team, second team, and I think third team in honorable mentions uh, for K or uh, for Big yeah. 12 basketball. I think it's so easy for folks to sit back and say, oh, this person needs to be first team, this person, blah, blah, blah. But they don't go through the process. They don't put it all together. So I, I, I'm interested to hear who you currently kind of have in your first team, who you have in your second team, third team, and honorable mentions as we're sitting here with a handful of games left to go in the regular season and the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, it's fun. I like to put together uh, I put together spreadsheets with uh, every player in the league and uh, their and and I during the season I kind of do league only stats because I think in my opinion that's the way you should do the league uh, and pick the spots. But they're going to pick they're going to use full season stats. So when I do my final one, I will do that. Uh, but just using only season stats, I think. There's some some clear guys that are that are for sure um, on there. I think there are four that I would put first team right away. Uh, Sheed from Houston, I think, is clearly on there. Uh, Hunter Dickinson from KU, even though I don't like him, he's put up the numbers. He's a, the leading scorer in the league and one of the leading rebounders in the league. He's a really good player. You know, the funny thing is, even though they're not a great team in this league, Dylan DeSue may be the best player as far as looking at his overall numbers for Texas. He's really good. 18 points per game and super efficient. Uh, the best scoring rate points per 100 of, of all these guys that I have in my top 25. Um, Emmanuel Miller for TCU has really become a good player. The player I'm not sure what to do with, I, I think Kevin McCooler is up there, but with him, his injury status, he's a guy that I would question because you know, I think you should probably play at least two-thirds of the games. Uh, I think he's played in 10. You know, by the end, he'll play in 10 of 18 because he may not play again before the Big 12 tournament or the NCAA tournament. So we'll see on him. He's my questionable one. But I think Sheed, Miller, Sue, and Dickinson are for sure top five guys. Then it gets a little tougher. Um, in my second team, I've got Tyler Perry. I think he's the second. He's playing at a second-team level right now. I think uh, Kishan Gilbert from Iowa State is a very good player. Uh, Ace Miss from Texas. And it's funny, Texas probably has two of the top 10 players, but they don't win games for some reason. Uh, Javian McCollum from OV, uh, OU is, is a very good player. And I, even though he's played limited time, the numbers are really good for Jesse Edwards from West Virginia. And we saw him yesterday, even though he can't make a free throw, he did miss two with 24 seconds left, which kind of helped us out. So thank you, Jesse. But I do think he's a really good player and probably the best player on that team, which is saying something because K-State fans are infatuated with Rashawn uh, Raekwon Battle. But that's because, you know, I posted it on the boards. We've seen Raekwon Battle play 
three of his best seven games in his career against Power Five teams or Power Six teams. Three of his top seven scoring games are against K State in his career. So, so I don't think he's in. The, I don't even have him in my top twenty-five. No, what's wild Third about team? Then I would put. Oh. Sorry, real quick on battle, and I tweeted this. The wild thing about him is in. He wouldn't have even been playing last night. It, it would have been an absolute blowout if it wasn't for a random judge in West Virginia deciding that the yes. NCAA can't yes. make up their own or you know enforce their own rules that everyone agreed upon. Um, it's just kind of funny that all the discourse that the NCAA has taken. But shout out to that one random judge in West Virginia that completely upended all of college athletics just because he wanted – Raekwon battle to be able to play for the worst team in the big 12. Yes, absolutely. And my, my third team that this is where it becomes a little more dicey as we kind of, you know, you break through the minutia. I think LJ Cryer from Houston is up there. He's a really efficient player. Uh, one of the more efficient guards in the, in the league. Jalen Bridges from Baylor is, is really good for what he's asked to do. Um, Juwan Roberts from Houston, I would always put up there. Always also put up there, really good big. And then Darian Williams from Texas Tech is a really good player, one of the best rebounders in the Big 12, and a pretty efficient scorer as well. Um, and then my maybe my questionable one on my third team would be Pop Isaacs. Um, he's got great scoring numbers for Texas Tech and is in the top five in scoring, but he's not super efficient. Um so, so that would—that's what gave me the most pause, probably in in this selection and putting him up there. Um, and then down the list um, for Baylor, I've got R.J. Dennis and Jacoby Walter, both honorable mention guys. They're both really good. Um, another one that's weird, and this is what's weird when you start looking at fourteen teams. You've got so many more players to look at, and the individual stats for some stand out, even though teams are better. So like, here's my example, Iowa State, I've got one guy for Iowa State in my top 25, just because nobody has fantastic individual numbers besides, and even Keyshawn Gilbert is not fantastic. He's 13.8 points per game, but nobody else is above 11 points per game for Iowa State. So it's hard because I, and I don't just base it on scoring and rebounds, but so many people do. And I, and I still can't justify putting Iowa State guys on there. But you, UCF, I've got two guys. I've got Jalen Sellers and Darius Johnson both because they're both good scorers. They're both pretty efficient. And they put up good numbers, both over 14 points per game. So I like those two. Um, another tough team is BYU because they spread everything out so far. Um, who is their best player? <clears throat> Everyone would say is Jackson Robinson at 12 points per game. But He's such a high volume guy and not super efficient. I really think maybe their best player is Trevin Nell, and he's the guy I would put on there. Um, I also think that undersized big that plays um, is really good, um, Treori, but he plays so limited. Some games he plays 20 minutes, some games he doesn't. He's got one of the best efficiency stats in the league, but I don't have him in my top. Uh, I don't mention I have Trevin Nell from, BY, uh, from BYU. Houston, I got another guy in there. I've got four Houston players in my top 25, which makes sense because I think they're the best team in the league by far. Emmanuel Sharp, really good player. I guess I did have Raekwon Battle in my honorable mention just because he scores so well, even though he's not super efficient. He is the best, second best scorer per 100 in the league besides Jesse Edwards. 
<clears throat> and then I put I put Arthur Kloom on the list. I think he's I think he's worthy. I think he's played well enough. Um, and then for Cincinnati, Daniel Skillings is a really nice player. Does some nice things. Then my final spot is uh, KU's Johnny Furphy, um, who has played well at times in Big Twelve play. He did not play well against us, but he's been super important for them, especially with with uh, McCuller out. Um, he's been really good. So you've got other guys that you could look at. You know, guys that can score. The next two best scores that I didn't put on there are Javon Small and Cam Carter, uh, just because they're not very efficient. Uh, you've got KJ Adams from KU's real good player. I didn't put him on there. Jackson Robinson from BYU. Um, like I said, I don't think, I think he just, the volume of what he does to score his points, I don't think is enough. Kirk Reese is pretty good. Um, and then some other guys down the list uh, that I don't have on there, but <clears throat> that would be the way I'd put, and I, I kind of put it as a top 15, one through third team. And, and I've always said this, if you've got two guys that are what I would consider first, second, or third team, you should be a tournament team. And then if you've got two guys that are in the top 25, which K-State does right now, you should be a bubble team. And if you've got more, three or more, I've got Baylor with three or more, I've got uh, Houston with three or more, I've got KU with three or more, you should be a top three or four seed. Uh, Iowa State's really the outlier here because I think they are a top three or four seed, but I don't think they have – top three or four seed offensive players, which may, in my opinion, make them a little bit leery of what's going to happen in the, big, in the NCAA tournament. Because that, that could be a team without that guy and just relying on defense. We saw what Iowa State did last year, even though I think they were not as good a team. They got bl blasted in the NCAA tournament because they couldn't score. And that could be what kills them uh, at some point this year too. Well, I hope that's what happens, and I hope we're <laughs> able to beat them uh what in 13 days 12 days whatever yes. it is i don't know i don't know the math uh just to you know everyone who's listening knows what happens but byu is only down three with 10 30 so i mean <laughs> i mean crazy crazy things happen honestly them winning that would be great i i well i don't know i don't think we get any credit for beating them if they it doesn't matter i don't care Look, Jimmy, you're the best. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you laying out your teams because, again, uh, it, the, the team is going to come out. We're going to get the Big 12 awards. I don't remember if that happens before or after the uh, Big 12 uh, tournament, but everyone's going to be up in arms about something. Oh, wh what about this? What about that? You are a man who gets the job done. You put it together, and you have it all right there. So folks could disagree with you, but if they're not going to put the work in and put their one through 25, then you should just say, Hey, show me your list <laughs> or don't talk to me at all. So I want to give you credit for that. I want to give you credit for all the great work you're doing every Sunday on YouTube and podcasts on the KSO uh, Sunday show with Mason and drew multiple time guests, but you're my favorite. So I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else you want to plug to the boneheads before we call it an evening? Yeah, I, I would just say, um, you, you know, um, we talk about this a lot in our in our uh, chats when we we uh, kind of reflect on Twitter and KSO and comments. Um, I think we've both agreed at some point you just got to let fans fan how they want, and um, you know, I, I'm I'm prone to get caught up 
in the optimism and, and getting back into the hope. And I found that that's absolutely what has happened to me the last two games is now I'm back on K-State's going to make the tournament. We're going to go on some special run and and somehow make a Sweet 16 or something, which would be fun. Like, K-State has never really made a Sweet 16 and not made an Elite Eight. Like, that's something you haven't seen. I think maybe one time we've done that. So it'd be kind of fun to see a team we don't expect to make the second weekend or even make the tournament right now do something like that. So I, I find myself finding that optimism that maybe that could happen. Um, but if you want to be one of those guys that are, is not going to buy in, kind of like yourself, Scott, until we actually get to that point, do it. Like, fan how you need to fan, because I, I get it. Like, I get for some people buying into the optimism that I do can crush you when it doesn't happen. Like, for some reason, I'm more able to easily move on, because I, I guess after watching all those games of Dana Altman and Tom Asbury and Jim Woolridge, I've, I've conditioned myself to find optimism and then move on when it doesn't happen. But, uh, enjoy, however you're going to enjoy these last three games and the Big 12 tournament and whatever happens next, find the way that you can enjoy it best because that's the way to be a fan. But whatever you do, keep supporting K-State, have fun with it, enjoy the process of, of being a K-State fan. And, and I'll just say this as my last point. If a season like this is the low point of the Jerome Tang era, it's going to be a fun era of K-State basketball. And I hope I hope that's the case, and I hope I think that will probably likely be the case, but we'll see. Yeah, I again, this might be an off-season episode when we're able to get away from the basketball season a little bit more, but I think that this has to be maybe maybe only the final Frank year uh, as the most emotionally exhausting basketball season. Uh, of all time. So that, that might be something where we get a round table together, you know, in May after enough time has passed to really diagnose the, uh, all the emotional stuff on and off the court with this season. And yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I, you know, you, you painted me in that corner, but again, we did spend the majority of this time talking about, uh, you know, the bubble and what's it going to take to get K-State in. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I will be crushed and devastated if they lose on Saturday in Cincinnati, <laughs> because that's how I fan. I ride the, for, especially for men's basketball. I ride the roller coaster so hard, so hard. I think I'm a little bit more even keeled with football and I don't even have emotion when it comes to pro sport. I, a little bit with sporting because soccer is just an emotional game, but there's nothing the chiefs can do to make me, like super high anymore, even when that Super Bowl, I was glad it happened, but I wasn't like going nuts. Uh, you know, the Royals, there's nothing they can do to really hurt me. They, you know, the, you know, those pro t- teams have given me the highs and the lows and you know, Hey, I I've experienced it, but men's basketball, maybe sporting Kansas city as weird as it is. I ride that roller coaster so hard so hard. So I'm going to keep riding that roller coaster. And I want to thank you again, Jimmy, for coming on. I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I don't think there's going to be a Friday show. Again, maybe there is. There's some long ongoing back and forth with some big time guests. And whenever I can get them on, I'm just going to get it on and publish it. Uh, But we probably are only going to be at two shows this week, unless we do like a spring football storylines episode but freaking mason doing all these daily things over at the k-state online youtube page (laughs) 
you know, he already did a spring storyline thing. So, you know, maybe go over and listen to that or watch that, whatever. That asshole just being so good at his job. But, you know, that's it. We're calling it a night. So for Jimmy, the best guy in the world, for Chauncey, the best dog in the world, and two, hey, and and again, final happy birthday to your wife. Uh, One of, uh, again, just two elite people who got married. You know, shout out to you guys. My name's Scott McFarland. We love you guys, and go Cats. It's time to get set for the cat attack. You can feel it coming on for Kansas State. The feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you wanna be with Kansas State. Come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats. Kansas State, come on, join the cat attack. Kansas State, excitement's in the air. Podcast Network.